Yeah, so as Ron said, the, the young adult stuff, I think I've mentioned it before, it is, uh, it's kind of flourishing. We're actually trying something new uh, coming up here this next week. Should be a lot of fun. Um, Jonathan and Jesse have opened the doors to their home, and they're going to be bringing in the married section of the young adult group um, and doing uh, something that's on his heart as well, which is his Marriage That Thrives class. So it should be a lot of fun. Get to know folks, um, get to know their kids a little bit, and kind of do life with them. And uh, that kind of goes hand-in-hand with what I want to talk about today. Um, Most of what I'll cover today is kind of a history lesson. So if you don't like history, uh, first, come see me after class. But (laughs) second, uh, there's a lot to learn. So if we don't know history, uh, we are doomed to repeat it. I know that is kind of a cliche, but it is true. Um, So what I want to talk about today is primarily the Roman army. Um, So in the the 3rd century BC, the Roman army started using this system um, to structure their troops that they called the the maniple system. Um, And so it it broke them into a couple different phases. Uh, You would have these guys called, they called them Velites. Uh, They were very lightly armored, uh, like skirmisher troops. Um, Very poor. They tend to be from like outer regions. Uh, And they were skirmisher troops that would run out in the front of the line and throw spears. They had five or six spears on them. And they would expend their ammunition and then turn and retreat. So they would uh, kind of deal a first blow, disrupt the enemy, and then retreat back behind the next line. Um, And then your next line is going to be these guys called the Histadi, who are uh, a little more heavily armored. They tended to be lower class soldiers. Um, and at this time, uh, Rome had them supply their own equipment. So these guys did have a little more armor, but they didn't have as much because they're not as wealthy. Um, and so they're going to be your, your frontline troops. They're light or, lightly armored swordsmen and spears, spearmen. Um, and they would be that first line to kind of break the, the waves down as they were being assaulted. And then the next line back is going to be your princeps. Uh, and they're going to be a little more heavily armored. They tend to be middle class. Um, same kind of thing, swordsmen, spearmen. And then your your last line is the triari. That is your heavily armored elites. It, they tended to be older guys, they're merchant class. They had a lot of money. They had lots and lots of uh, armor because they're very wealthy. Um, and so a saying at the time was to fall back on the triari. And that is uh, when you when you, when things are t- going really rough, and you have to retreat, you fall back to that heavily armored, very elite group of guys. Um, and so they would fall back on these guys as, as like a last resort. A lot of times these guys would be hanging out in the back and the battle would be won before they ever got into battle. But the point was that they had somebody to fall back on. Um, and so these guys, kind of division of labor here, they, everybody had a role, everybody had a purpose in the army. Um, and so we can kind of learn from that in our spiritual lives. Um, so as far as, as roles, uh, you know, the skirmishers, the Zvelites, um, if, if we want to put a spiritual twist on that, they can be like our missionaries that we send out. They get out in the front lines. They're doing, doing battle with the enemy out there and, uh, you know, making that first blow, that first impact. And then as you increase through the lines, you have all the way back to your, your home groups, uh, the, the elites, the, the folks who have been training up in the word, folks who are solid in the word. 
that you can fall back on when you need a helping hand, when you need some encouragement. Um, so then in 107 BC, this guy named Gaius Marius, uh, he reforms the Roman army. Um, so this is called the Marian Reform. Again, I'm really passionate about history, so I'm going full nerd with the history stuff here. Um, so this is the, the Roman army that we talk about today. Uh, this is going to be, so from 107 BC all the way up until the Roman Empire falls and uh, just after 400 AD. Uh, this is going to be kind of how they're structured. Um, you do still see some of the uh, breakdown with the Histadi, the Princeps, the Triari, uh, and the skirmisher troops. But now they're highly structured units. Um, they're more professional, more permanent. So before it was a volunteer army. Uh, now they have career army positions. And so you get this uh, creation of something called the, the Roman Legion, which you may be familiar with. That is, uh, again, what we talk about when we say Roman legionaries. Um, so a legion is uh, about 4,800 troops that would be composed of 10 cohorts. Each cohort is 480 legionaries. And then each legion, or each, each cohort is uh, constructed of six centuriae, which is 80 legionaries. Again, six times 80, if we're doing math this morning. Uh, and then each centuriae is uh, composed of 10 contubernium, which is going to be eight troops. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on here this morning, is that contubernium. Uh, so it was really the, the core group of the Roman army. So it is eight guys plus one or two uh, more servant-focused positions. They had uh, somebody who would tend their mules, tend their armor. Um, but these eight guys did life together. Everything they did, uh, they ate together, they slept in the same tent, they would uh, break camp and move together, they would march together, uh, they would train. Uh, everything they did, they did life together. And uh, so it's... Uh, a really important thing that they did life together like this because the, the point of constructing the army this way, uh, again, the Romans, though uh, from a Christian perspective at the time may have been a little on the cruel side, um, they were a well-tuned, uh, strong fighting force. And so the point of this contubernium, the reason they instated it was because they recognized that uh, having soldiers who knew each other, who were doing life together, uh, that it would build morale and it would uh, make them fight more effectively because they were fighting for the men next to them. They were fighting with them, not just attacking the enemy, but they actually had something invested on their side. Um, so we could go a lot deeper into the structure of the Roman army. Uh, again, I'm a big history guy, so I, I love all of that stuff. We could talk siege equipment, we could talk battle, battle tactics and positions, but we won't do that. Um, so to kind of pivot into a similar theme here, um, I'm gonna look into Ephesians, uh, which is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and so specifically, I'm going to look at uh, the passage on the armor of God. Uh, so y'all may be familiar with this, but I'm gonna go ahead and read that. That is from Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. So Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the, all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." So Paul, when he writes this, he's giving a, a mental image to uh, the church of Ephesus um, of what it means to get ready for spiritual warfare. Um, so he, is, he tells them, put on the breastplate of righteousness. That is your, your defense. Um, he tells them to put on the, the belt of truth. The belt uh, for a Roman soldier is a piece of, piece of their armor. It's an integral piece of their armor. Everything that they put on ties into that belt. So when they put that on, it, it tucks everything together. They can hang equipment off of it. Uh, it holds their armor onto them. Um, he says, as shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Um, so when we, when we read our Bible, when we pray together, when we study together, uh, we are we're increasing our readiness. Um, he says, the shield of faith. So again, faith uh, is going to be that defense against those, those darts of the evil one. So when we... Uh, when we pick up that shield of faith, we have something to hide behind. We hide behind the word here, and we know that uh, we have uh, trust and love for the Lord that, is, that will protect us. Um, he says the helmet of salvation. Uh, you put on this helmet. Again, the helmet's going to protect your head and uh, very vital area there. Um, he says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, you pick up the sword of the Spirit, um, Again, that is going to be increasing your, your readiness, increasing your ability to uh, counter the enemy by knowing the word. Um, and so the reason that Paul writes all of this and the reason that Paul puts this mental picture of a Roman soldier into their minds is because, again, at the time, the Romans were the greatest army that the world had ever seen. In a lot of ways, they still are. Um, very, very powerful. By today's perspective, with technology and everything, they wouldn't stand a chance, but that's not the point. Um, they were a very, uh, very powerful unit. So he wants them to be well-equipped, ready to go into battle with the enemy. Um, and it, instead of being um, enemies that we are using or we are fighting to uh, take territory from or to uh, win back land for our homeland, this is going to be uh, spiritual warfare. So we're not taking physical territory, but it is... Uh, territory that, that needs to be taken. It is the souls and the lives of those around us, uh, those in the communities around us, uh, not even just here, but overseas, everywhere. Um, so we should be passionate about that, uh, and we need to be ready to go into battle. So he tells the Ephesians uh, to, st to step into their armor, take up their sword and their shield, and to uh, step out in faith for the battle. So a lot of times we analyze this passage as a way to prepare ourselves uh, for spiritual warfare, uh, and this is a really good use for it. Um, but I wanted to kind of add to that as well. 
uh, because the Romans, while they were very, very successful, were not successful only because of the armor they wore or only because of the swords and shields they had. Um, again, as we saw at the beginning there, um, before 107 BC, they were not equipped by the government, so they had various uh, classes within the army. Um, so some soldiers were very poorly equipped and others were very heavily armored and it depended on how wealthy you were. Um, again, the army was still successful and those heavily armored troops didn't see battle nearly as often as the lightly armored troops. So uh, based on that, we can kind of uh, extrapolate that their effectiveness is not based on their equipment. Um, so it's not really entirely based on training either. Um, after 107 BC, when they became more of a, a permanent standing army, uh, they were given about four months of training. Uh, so they would go into training camps, they would train for about four months, and then they would be sent out. Um, and so to analyze this portion here, uh, when we put on the armor of God here and set out into battle, um, we know that we are fighting for a just cause. Uh, we know that this armor does help us in, that, in battle, but in reality, the drive and the purpose behind us is the Lord and the word of the Lord. And so even though we have this equipment, we are prepared to go into battle. Sometimes we don't have every single piece of equipment that we need, but we can still be effective anyway. Um, and a Roman soldier, uh, when you look at how he is structured, how, how he holds his equipment, uh, the shield that he holds covers about half of his body. So he's holding it here in his left hand, and it, it covers pretty much to the, the midpoint of his body. And he holds his gladius, which is about a 27-inch short sword, um, in his other hand. And if this soldier goes into battle alone, uh, he might have the greatest equipment, but he is going to be overcome very quickly. Uh, and so the reason that this shield covers half their body is because the Romans would fight in a unit. Um, they would stand and tuck their shields together, uh, and his shield covered half of his body and half of the guy to the, to the side of him. And so when they would lock their shields together, each man was dependent not only on his own skill and his own ability in battle, but also of the man to his right, and he was protecting the man to his left. And so the importance of that, uh, and the thing that we can learn here, is that even though the Romans are this powerful, terrifying uh, force of, of nature to be reckoned with on the battlefield, uh, when it comes down to it, they are fighting together. They are fighting in those contubernians that we talked about, that those core groups of eight men. Uh, these men know each other, they do life together, uh, and they go into battle uh, dependent on each other because if the man to my right makes a mistake, it could cost me my life, and I have to trust that he's not going to make those mistakes. Um, and then with the training perspective, uh, to put that a, a spiritual twist on that. Um, one thing that I think that we are really uh, passionate about is pouring into the word and diving into the word and, and training ourselves up in it. Uh, but the important thing to remember is that you can only train for so long. So the Romans had four months of training. Uh, they, would, they would be thrown into these camps, they would train, but then they would set out. So it is a good thing to pour into the word and to pray and to uh, increase your readiness. But if you were always preparing for a battle and you never step out into it, that's kind of a problem because you cannot 
uh, gain any ground, make any territory, um, or win any souls if you never set out into battle. So after the Marian reform, those uh, Velites and the Hastati would still skirmish with the enemy. They would wear them down. And then, as I said, they would fall back on the, the princeps and the triari. So again, they had someone to fall back to. Um, the Romans did not send these people out just to die. They would send them out to skirmish with the enemy, disrupt the enemy, and then let the enemy crash into their more heavily armored, uh, more elite units. Um, but the post-Marian reform, so that core unit of the legion, the Contabernium, is essential to the legions. Uh, again, they know that doing life together, they are going to uh, know the man they're standing next to. They're going to uh, fight, not just for themselves, but for the, their, their group of men. Because when they go back to camp at the end of the night, if they've lost one of their number, that's going to hurt a lot more than looking around the camp and seeing that there's fewer people. Because they know they can put a name and a face to the guy that they've lost. Um, so on top of that, the Romans are also uh, masters of different formations. Uh, they used very effectively something that, that the Greeks came up with. Uh, they used the phalanx, uh, which again is they lock their shields together. Um, they would, uh, it, it did slow them down, uh, but the point was is they were armored from all sides. They would lock their shields together and the men in the front would form a shield wall and the men to the side would bring their shields around and some of the men in the back would even face backwards, holding the shields the other direction, and they would march together. And there was a variation of this phalanx called the testudo, which uh, the men who were further back in line would take their shields and put them up on top. And the point of this is that the arrows coming in from the enemy as they're advancing would bounce off their shields because they were just this little shield turtle running into the battlefield together. Um, so Romans are really, really effective. They, they use that shield uh, in a highly effective manner to protect each other. Uh, again, not just to protect their own bodies, to protect, but pr to protect the core of the unit around them. So applying that to our spiritual lives, um, at, the at the very heart of that Roman war machine is that contubernium, that core group of guys that would do everything together. So from a spiritual perspective, uh, that is something that we really need in our lives. We have to have that core group. Um, again, you cannot do this on your own. Um, the enemy is incredibly crafty uh, and will attack you at every weak point in your armor. So uh, the next thing, again, based off the contubernium, is trust. Uh, they, they trust each other. So they, it is a brotherhood, the Roman army focused on brotherhood and relationship at the very smallest level. Uh, and that, again, led to uh, a much more effective fighting force. Um, and so when the soldiers step out on the battlefield, they know they can rely on their brothers, they know that they can trust the guys next to them, and they also know that they can't win the battle without that. Uh, so just as Roman soldiers lean on their brothers, we should as well. And. Uh, I have a couple verses here that go with that. So Romans 1.12 is the first one. So in Romans uh, 1.11 and 12, Paul writes, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul tells them here that he wants to go see these people, but he's not going to be able to make it. Uh, and he tells them, uh, that he wants to be mutually encouraged. So he's, we know Paul is this guy who writes a whole chunk of, of 
the New Testament. Um, very powerful writer, very powerful guy spiritually. Uh, but he is writing not that he wants to bring encouragement, but that he wants to be mutually encouraged by these people. Um, and that's important because uh, as we go through life together, it, you shouldn't be trying solely to uh, pour into people around you. That is a very good thing, but you also need to be poured into. So you need to encourage others and be encouraged by them. Um, again, look for assistance, look for aid, uh, have your triare to fall back on. And the other one, uh, kind of mimicking or parodying uh, the men's, men's retreat from a couple years, or weeks ago, I'm sorry. Ecclesiastes 4.12, uh, this is likely written by Solomon. I know there's some disagreement on, on who wrote this. It's not uh, actually stated here. Uh, we have Ecclesiastes 4.12, who writes, Though a man might overcome one who's alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So when we do relationship together, uh, we want that threefold cord. We want yourself, another man, and you want to weave God into the middle of that relationship so that it is strong and cannot be broken. So the point here with the Romans and our spiritual lives is just to find a group, to do life together, uh, get to know each other, uh, pour into each other, um, and really lean on them for accountability and assistance and aid uh, in your spiritual life. Um, without those things, uh, we are in danger of stepping out on the battlefield and being quickly overrun because, again, when the enemy gets you alone, he will overcome you because he's incredibly crafty. He's very, very dangerous. And as I said, you cannot do it alone. So having a, a brotherhood to fall back on, a brotherhood to lean on, you really have the ability to step out onto that battlefield. And we do have to step out onto that battlefield. Um, just by the, the very nature of the fact that you're in this room here this morning means that you are you're dedicated. I mean, you get up at before six o'clock in the morning to come here. So uh, find, find those guys, uh, and it can be a mixed group of guys. It can be younger, older. It's, it's really good to, to differentiate that life experience um, so that you have uh, people to lean on. You have somebody in a life stage below you to teach uh, things that you've learned, mistakes that you've made, and you have somebody above you to learn from their mistakes and to teach you as well. Um, so that's really what I had this morning. Again, I'm a, I'm a big history nerd, so any excuse to, to do some research and dive into the Roman army is uh, a lot of fun for me. Um, maybe not for y'all, but like I said, if you have issues with history, uh, come see me after class because we have to talk about that. Um, one more thing that I had, just because we are talking about history, um, it's, a, it's a quote that I heard um, on Tuesday night. Uh, this last week here in Downline, we've had three classes this week, which is kind of not normal, but to go straight from a class that I don't get home until about 9.45 into a 5.30 in the morning class is a little rough, but um, one of the speakers said uh, that it is okay if we find ourselves on the wrong side of history as Christians, as long as we find ourselves on the correct side of eternity. And so since we are focusing here on, on history this morning, I really wanted to share that quote because I, it, it really resonated with me. I really enjoyed it. Um, and so especially as crazy as the world is getting uh, these days, um, it is okay to find ourselves on the wrong side of history as long as we are on that correct side of eternity. So, thank you.